They say that experience is the best teacher, and the best way to learn from experience is to learn from others who have already found success. For this season of the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast, Michael has lined up a great group of successful people who will share their stories of how they got started and some powerful lessons from their accomplishments. He'll also be introducing you to people who are just starting on their entrepreneurship journey to share what they've learned so far. Success is not just about money, and we'll meet some people who have been successful in very unique ways. Entrepreneurship is an exciting journey, and we're glad to be along for the ride with you. Here's your host, the guy who knows a guy, Michael Whitehouse. Hello, I am Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy, and this is the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. Our guest today is Gene DiNapoli, New York's Mr. Entertainment. He's a performer, actor, podcaster, producer, and more, and I'm excited to have him on the show because because he is a, a unique business person. Uh, we, we have all kinds of people on who are kind of more traditional type business, but he's a great example of someone finding his way, doing something he loves doing, making a living doing it, and really being successful. And I think we're going to have a lot to learn, and uh, you and the audience are going to have a lot to learn from Gene's story and how he became Mr. Entertainment. So Gene, welcome to the show. Oh, good to be here, Michael. Thanks for having me. All right, so very excited to have you here. So my first question, as always, is what makes you awesome? Well, I think what makes me awesome personally is I get to do what I love for a living, which not only makes me money, uh, but brings joy and happiness to everybody that we perform in front of. Love it. Uh, and so how did you get started with that? How, how did you how did you get on the path to become New York's Mr. Entertainment? Well, you know, I've been an Elvis fan since I'm five years old. And ever since I could remember, I was in my room or the basement with a broom around my neck imitating Elvis's stage moves. <laughs> and then when I was 14, I walked on stage for the first time in my uncle's restaurant in Yonkers, New York. And I got, I got affected by the applause. Mm. And I never looked back. And this past March, I celebrated my 41st year in show business. Wow. So... So you're, you had a connection to your uncle, obviously, which is kind of what got you started. But then how did you build up from there to uh, to be able to turn it into a career? Well, you know, I used to uh, pal out with my father. Uh, and my father was a knock-around guy who would go out nightclubbing and gambling. So when my father would go out to a local place, he would take me. And I'd sit in the corner while he went in the back room and played cards or shot dice. And I would watch the band. Okay. And, uh from I think I was about six uh, when I first went out to a nightclub, which was funny because I was probably three feet tall or two feet tall. <laughs> but my father was a well-liked and well-respected man in my area. So nobody was going to tell Blackie uh, he couldn't bring his kid into the nightclub. <laughs> and what I did, Mike, was I sponged every performer that I watched, whether it was male or female, pop, oldies, standards, country, whatever it was, I absorbed something from that show. Mm. Okay. So you in terms of how they're performing and what their, their presence and that sort of thing? Yeah. You know, I, I would go watch people who weren't the tallest uh, or the thinnest, but yet when they projected a song, they became 10 feet tall mm. and, and people would gravitate to them. And I said, you know, this is a cool living. Uh, you know, back then I thought you could, you know, make millions because that's all you heard was Elvis Presley made millions and Frank Sinatra made millions and the Beatles made millions. I didn't know there was a downside uh, <laughs> to it as well. But, uh, 
when people come to see my shows now, uh, I have a relatively older audience mm-hmm. and I'm 55 and they say, you know, you bring back such great memories and you make us relive. And what did you do when you went to the Copa? And I said, well, I, I was never at the Copa. And they <laughs> said, how do you know what went on? I said, I educated myself. I watched mm. Bobby Darren. I read books on the Copa. I read books on Sinatra, what they did and how they performed. So when I do my shows now, it's a mixture of everything. Wow. And so tell us a bit about your shows. What, when, when people, what's, your, what's kind of your main line? Well, I have basically three shows now that I do, Mike. Uh, for 41 years, it's been the Elvis Presley tribute, where I, of course, dress in a jumpsuit and do a one and a half to two hour show of nothing but Elvis songs. And then about uh, 20 years ago, I decided to do a Blues Brothers tribute. Because okay. the Blues Brothers, one of the most iconic musical acts in history. Again, a lot of fun, uh, a lot of party people, a lot of dancing. And then about six years ago, I was thrown into a situation where the owner of the restaurant wasn't really an Elvis fan. And he said, uh, you got to do three hours. Uh, I said, okay, where do I change? He goes, change what? You look great. I said, well, I, I need to change to my jumpsuit. He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, you hired me to do Elvis. He said, no, I didn't. So I said, well, what do you want me to do? He says, do anything but Elvis. So I went to my <laughs> wife at the table and I started, I said, what do I do? So she says, uh, do every freaking song you know. So I went in the car and I wrote down three different sets. I wrote down a standard dinner set, an oldie set, and a disco set. And we did it. Uh, and the next day, three restaurants in the area called me <laughs> and said, uh, we heard you're not doing Elvis anymore. I said, no, I'm still doing it. Well, we got our own Elvis, but we heard you're doing this variety show. And last night you, you tore the house up. So now uh, we do more variety gigs than Elvis only for the reason that people like to dance. Yeah. And when you do the peppermint twist and run around Sue and disco Inferno and four tops and the spinners, people dance. When you do Elvis, they sit and they watch. Okay. And, and they don't want to do that no more. I mean, we still do one or two Elvis shows a month in public. One is a restaurant and one is a, a nightclub. But most of the jobs I'm getting now are for the variety show, which is great because it could change every night. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what I love about that story, too, is that, that you could have totally said when he said, you know, I don't want Elvis. You could totally said, well, I, I play Elvis. That's who I am. That's what I do. So, you know, I'm out of here. But instead, you embraced it and said, all right, well, this is the game. Let's do this. Let's pivot. And uh, you want different music? I got different music. Let's go for it. You know what, Mike? It's funny you you said that. But I didn't say what you said for a couple of reasons. Number one, I like to be professional. Mm -hmm. And number two, I was really toying with the idea of getting out of the box of Elvis. Ah, Because when when I'm home or when I go to a party or a wedding and people, I don't do Elvis if I'm a guest at a wedding, I'll get up, I'll do a Lionel Richie, I'll do Barry Manilow, i do a Neil Diamond, I'll do the Four Tops. Mm-hmm. I don't do Elvis. So this gave me an opportunity to see if I could really do what I wanted to do. Uh, the second reason was, if you knew the place where I was singing, you would not say no to the people that were there because, uh, have you ever seen a movie called Bronx Tale? 
I have not. All right, Chaz Palminteri and Robert okay, De Niro. Yep. Well, there's an area in the Bronx called Arthur Avenue, and that's the little Italy of the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And when people frequent these restaurants, you don't tell them no. <laughs> uh, so, And plus, the guy's a great guy. So it afforded me an opportunity to do what I wanted to try in public in a packed house. And it was either going to be sink or swim. Mm-hmm. So the first song I sang was The Way You Look Tonight by Sinatra. Okay. And, and I picked that because it starts off with a big horn intro. And the minute, the second I played it, there had to be 150 people in the room chatterboxing. And the second I hit the music, the people stood up and they looked and they, the, what's going on here? So I grabbed their attention. Then I started singing. And you know what, Mike? I'm not going to tell you I'm the best singer in the world because I'm not. I don't sound like a lot of people, mm-hmm. but I sound like myself. Okay. So uh, half the room knew me as Elvis. So for them to hear me do Summer Wind and After the Loving and Ladies a Tramp, it was it was a, an awakening for them. Uh, so it worked out well. And then we took a break and I came off. I was sweating. I said to my wife, how'd I do? She says, great. And then the next set I opened up with Run Around Sue, who Dion was a hometown hero to where mm-hmm. we were. So the opening line is, here's my story. So once I did that, the dance floor got packed. Wow. Nice. So you have to, you have to know what to do in certain places. And I read my audience, mm-hmm. which is a gift I'm very thankful for. And so, so when you do, is it recorded backing tracks and then you're, you're doing the vocals? Is that how you do it? Well, that's how we do it in the restaurants because there's no room and the budget's not there. Right. But when we do the parks in the summer or corporate events, I have a band that goes from four pieces to 15. Oh, nice. Uh, depending on the the budget, we have girl singers, we have horns. Uh, when we did the casino, we did a, a, an 11-piece band. When we did BB Kings, we did a seven-piece band. So it, it's available in all different formations. Oh, that, that's great to have flexibility. Uh, so, so going back, so, so we went back to your very early beginnings when you were, you know, six and, and watching. It's funny, that story, you know, the, the story of the, 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 I believe you called your dad a, a knock around guy, um, yeah. you know, who, who drags a kid along. Sometimes that is not portrayed as a positive story, but it obviously is your superhero origin story. Um, but then when you got a bit older, how did you get into the business and really start making money at it? Well, uh, after I sang in my uncle's restaurant at 14, uh, I started to do a lot of charity events in my area, Lions mm. Club, Kiwanis Club, a cancer hospital. And then when I was 16, a guy said to me, uh, I, I have a bar. I said, okay. He said, I want you to play my bar. I said, play your bar. He said, yeah, we're going to do an Elvis night. So I said, now there was no such thing as backing tracks back then. So when I played these nursing homes, I would take Elvis records and make my voice louder than the record because there was no such thing as karaoke back in 1980. Mm-hmm. So now I had to put a band together and I, I knew a guitar player, a new drummer. We, we put a band together and we went and did this bar and we, they fed us and we didn't drink at the time. Uh, and then at the end of the night, the guy handed me $300 and I said, well, what's this for? He said, well, that's what I pay my ex. <laughs> so I looked at the guys and, and we all split $300, which at 15 and 16, $60 was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, this, this could be a business. <laughs> and then we started to do restaurants. What I did was I, I'd go to a restaurant that had a back room and I'd say, what are you doing on such and such a night? Nothing. Okay. Here's what I want to do. I want to do a show. I'm going to buy the dinners from you 
for $15, and I'm going to charge $50 for dinner and a show. And the first guy we did it to said, it'll never work. I said, why, why you say that? He said, well, why would people pay an extra $35 to see a show when they come here for dinner? I said, that's the reason, the show. Well, that Friday turned into a Friday and Saturday, and that Friday and Saturday turned into Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon. <laughs> and not, you know, Mike, I'd like to say it's because I'm good at what I do, but people crave live entertainment. Yes. Uh, they came back because they thought what I did was good and they liked mm -hmm. the show. But the initial reason for people to coming was the Elvis and the, and the show. And then if you get them to come back, well, it's because they like what you do and you're good at what you do. Mm -hmm. And then when karaoke came out, I started to do a lot of parties with the backing tracks because it was more affordable. Right. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's an old saying when you do what you love for a living, you never work a day in your life. Yep. And it's probably one of the truest sayings because, you know, my wife is in the hospital administration business <laughs> and we just went to go see my father in South Carolina. And my wife sits on the beach 10 hours and digresses. I don't do that because I don't feel what I do is work. Right. So I don't get the whole laying on a beach and getting away because if I could work, you know, 20 days a week, uh, which is impossible because your voice will eventually, you know, strain. Mm -hmm. I would do this every day, even if I hit lotto. If I was a multimillionaire and I didn't need to do it, I would do it because it's my life's blood. It's, it's what mm. keeps me going. Love that. That's great. And so, so when you, when you're starting those shows, how did you, did you just like, were you walking around the streets handing out promotion, promo cards or. Oh, let me tell you that, that, you know, I, I admire and I, I kind of like got a beef with these people today that go on TV and they do two songs and they got millions of fans. I remember walking with a, with a shopping cart with 5,000 flyers and <laughs> staple guns to telephone poles and, and begging people to let me put my poster in the window. And at the time I was a newspaper delivery boy as well. Mm. So what I did was I put a flyer in every paper that I <laughs> delivered. Uh, you know, I, how, how do I say it? I'm not jealous. Well, maybe I am. Maybe mm -hmm. I am of jealous of people today with social media and the TV shows that make them instant stars because I was born a little too early. Yeah. You know, maybe if I was born in the 80s and I was on American Idol or The Voice, maybe I would have those 5 million fans. But the fans I got are tried and true and they've seen mm -hmm. me and they know me. Uh, we did a show two weeks ago in a park. And they, they didn't want to hire me because I didn't use my band. And I said, well, for the budget you have, I can't bring my band. I said, but I'll make you a deal. I'll do a show so good that you won't even know there's not a band. And if you don't like it, don't pay me. Huh. Well, not only did they pay me, and not only did we have the biggest crowd they've ever had in 10 years, I'm the opening act for the next 2022 season. Yeah. So that, Mike is my greatest reward. And I went to that park last night to see another performer, a band, and the cops that work in this in the hall, the uh, town hall, mm -hmm. said to me, they get phone calls every day. When are you bringing Gene DiNapoli back? And to wow. me, yeah, that's the greatest compliment in this business. Yep. Yeah, it, it sounds like what you, you put a great energy across, which, you know, a lot of those overnight successes you see anyway aren't 
aren't overnight anyway. Yeah, you know, they've been working for years at it. And and often if if they rise fast, they fall fast too. You know, the the one hit wonders and the mm-hmm. they're on the voice, they're famous for a week and a half, and then who? Uh whereas whereas you, yo, know, you're on the ground hand to hand building building relationships and, and what it sounds like you're really doing is that you give them an experience. So it's not just music, it's being part of something when you're in the room. You're part of a the Gene DiNapoli experience instead of just yeah, I'll look some Elvis songs. It's it's this is really something's happening and they get to be part of it. You know, you hit it right on the head, uh, especially with the variety show. I include the audience. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very kid friendly. We get kids up to do the twist. I give out T-shirts. Uh, that's what somebody said to me last night. They said your show it reminisces us of the Ed Sullivan show and mm. the Dean Martin show because yep. what I do is I invite. I always invite two or three or four of my close friends to do a song. And then after they do a song, we do a duet. So like last time we did it, I did a Tom Jones song that Elvis did with a Tom Jones guy. I did a Sinatra <laughs> Elvis song. I did a, a duet from Viva Las Vegas with a girl. We did a Can't Take My Eyes Off You with another girl. So it's not just Gene DiNapoli for two hours. Mm. And, and that's what makes me a lot different. If there's an entertainer in the house, I, I open up my stage. I am not mm. a glutton... I, I have no ego. People think I have an ego because I say uh, I'm the best at what I do. But I don't think that's being egotistical. I think I, I do the best Gene DiNapoli out mm-hmm. there. <laughs> now, we have people that love me as Gene DiNapoli. We have people that love me. as We have people that hate me as Elvis because as an Italian, I'm chunky. I'm not as thin. I'm not as tall. And they go behind the keyboard and they insult me on social media. And my answer to them is, if I'm so bad, why does the casino hire me? Why did B.B. Kings hire me for seven years? Why did Vanessa Williams hire me for her daughter's birthday party? If I'm, you know, if I'm so bad, why are people that have a lot of outlets to find other people hiring me? And it's, it's and the, also, why are they the, taking their time to talk about you? Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> they say no publicity is bad publicity. Yeah. Uh, it does get me down when people say, well, you're not a lookalike. Well, I never said I was a lookalike. Uh, you know, I'm an entertainer. Mm-hmm. So whatever I have to do on that stage, whether it's in Elvis mode, John Belushi or Gene DiNapoli, I'm going to do. Yeah. And you're going to walk out of there a Gene DiNapoli fan. <laughs> That's my goal. Yeah. Yeah, what and it sounds like part of it is you have that that mind's like there's no question in your mind, I can hear it in your voice, that that they're gonna be a fan. And when you can have that kind of confidence, they're like, Well, I, I guess I'm gonna be a fan because because that's what I was just told. And I, I love what you're saying about bringing people up because whenever I see live music, um, you know, I, I you know, I listen to like pop music that Pandora serves yeah. me. But the other music I listen to is bands I know. If I don't know them personally, you know, like their friends on Facebook, right, I don't listen to them because it's it, it's not just about the music. It's about the connection. And what I love is when I'm at a show and they're like, oh, is that Joe in the back there? Hey, Joe, come on up. You sing with us. And you really kind of feel like you're just sort of hanging out at their jam session and not you're not at a show where they are performing. You're at you're hanging out at the party. Like you feel like you're part of it. And and it's it, that, that's that's why you go to live music. I, I can hear any kind of music I want. You know, and I, I pay five bucks a month on Pandora. I can listen to anything in the world that's ever been made on demand. You but, know, two, two, but, two comments 
on that, Elvis Presley once said, I have to give them a show because then they could stay home and listen to my records. Yeah, yep. But, you know, talking about last night, the two greatest compliments I got last night was when I walked through the park, I must have had 100 people say to me, I was here two weeks ago and you were phenomenal. You were just great. And that's all well and good. But one other compliment I got was when the band leader, after the show, found out I was there, he got mad at me because I didn't let him know I was there because he wanted me to get up and sing. And I said, <laughs> no, I'm here as a, a guest. No. He said, the next time you come see me and my band, I want to know because I love the way you do Cool in the Gang and I would have brought you up. Mm. So that's another great compliment when a fellow performer uh, asks you to get up. Yeah, no, that, that's huge. And and yeah, from my, you know, I, I'm, I have musical talent. My, the, the only instrument I know how to play is a, a tape player. Um, <laughs> you know, like I can hit the button and the music comes out. It's like magic, but I played the spoons. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, I, I love that sense of, of like the community of, you know, whenever I hear musicians, um, mention in their songs, other musicians. And I'm like, Oh, there's like a community that I'm here. It's like, a, there's a bigger backstory that I'm hearing part of and, and feeling connected to. So that kind of thing too. And they bring you up and you get the, you, you can feel the chemistry on the stage and be like, Oh, they know each other. Okay. Yeah. I, I see there's, there's something going on here beyond just hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. Those are the moments that people remember mm -hmm. later. Oh, you know, I went to go see the, the band was called FDR drive. Great dance band. Oh my God, I went to go. And you know what? Gene DiNapoli got up and he sang and it was like a double bonus. You know, I didn't do that last night, but people look forward to things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's definitely, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's when something unusual happens and, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm sure if you're in the industry, you get called up, you know, you call people up, you get called up all the time, but most people don't go to that many shows. So when they go to the show, you're like, I was there when I was there when that thing happened. Right. And they don't know it may have happened 10 times because to them, that's when they saw it happen. Exactly. You're hundred percent right. And, and you know, some people just don't want to miss anything. So they come to every show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have a guy when I do my Elvis show, he comes to my show to see what I'm wearing because <laughs> out of all the Elvises in my area, I must have 30 outfits. Oh wow. The other guys have two or three uh -huh. because I'm doing this so long. Uh, so he comes to my show and he says to his wife, you know, I wonder what Gene's going to wear tonight. Yeah. And then he tries to stump me. And that's the good part. He tries to stump me because I always ask the audience, you know, what do you want to hear? Give me a request. And he tries. It's going on years and he never <laughs> stumps me. Yep. Yeah. That's a great way of engaging with the, you know, engage with the audience there. Um, and hey, one, one thing I love about your story uh, in terms of how you got going was it, it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that, you just kind of went into it because you didn't know anything else to do. You you wanted to play, so you found a restaurant and said, let me play here. And they said, I don't know. And you're like, well, of course I'm going to do it, so let me do it. And then found the next place. Like, I'm going to do it. Just that confidence. Uh, talk a little about sort of the, the mindset you had that got you, got you going where you are. Well, at the beginning, Mike, it was for the love. Mm -hmm. uh, and then after that, it became, you know, when you got to become an adult, it became because it was a way to make money. Uh, now I do it because my wife says if I keep busy, I don't have to get a real job. Oh, there you go. You know, I'm not I'm not an eight, a six in the morning person. So <laughs> my wife says, no, you know, this is what you got to bring in the house every month. However you do it, you do it. Uh, of course, with the pandemic, it, it sidelined me immediately. So I found other ways to think about 
making money the next 10 years. So I'm taking the real estate course. Mm. Uh, and I got into producing shows with other artists. I found a small theater in White Plains, New York, a 400-seater. And we made a deal. And we're going to bring in five to seven shows a month of things that they don't do. Mm. Like doo-wop shows and yep. rockabilly and disco. You know, they're normally a playhouse. They have a play for a month whether it's Greece or Annie or South Pacific. So they have some sporadic nights. And I think with social media, I could do something on a Tuesday and get a good crowd. Yeah. So I'm not looking to make millions. Uh, we have we have a weekend of shows in September. On Friday the 17th, we have a Billy Joel tribute. Mm. On Saturday, we have Christine Ullman, who's the singer from the Saturday Night Live Band for 35 years. She does rockabilly and blues. And then Sunday the 19th, we have Sal Valentinetti from America's Got Talent. Uh, you know, local hometown hero. Mm -hmm. So um, I want to do these shows because I, I like I like the game. I like booking people. I like promoting. In, in October, we have a, a young performer named Chris Ruggiero, who's a local kid who sings older music, uh, who just got taken under the wing by... Charlie Canella, uh, who was Frank Sinatra's arranger. Mm, so when a 21-year-old yeah. kid does a CD with Frank Sinatra's arranger, you know there's magic there. Yes. So we're going to produce a show with him in a hotel ballroom. It's up close and personal. There's going to be a comedian on the show named Tara Canestracy, who's a wonderful local comedian who's breaking down walls. Uh, and like I said, as long as I don't lose money, a couple of dollars here keeps me going, keeps me in the business, and it's what I love to do. I love the old music. I love doo-wop. I want to mm -hmm. do, Mike, I want to do what I'm going to call the last great doo-wop spectacular. I want to rent the theater, 2,000 seats. I want to have 25 groups on the show, $50 a ticket. Everybody comes out and does their top three songs. That's it. Ooh. Fun. Just like Alan Freed, just like Dick Clark, just like Cousin Brucie. You know, you, you went to their shows, they had 20 groups. Nobody did their version of somebody else's songs because you had three hits, do the hits. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to do it one last time. Uh, and then we're going to move into the 60s music with Gary Puckett, Gary Lewis, Lou Christie, uh, the Buckinghams. And then we're going to do disco shows with Tavares and the Delphonics and the Tramps. You know, we're going to do a couple of things uh, a month to keep people entertained. I love it. I love it. That's, that sounds that sounds great. And, you know, you're, you're talking about your the 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 energy you have with with uh, you know, how, how you're approaching all this. Actually, reminds me, I, I recently um, uh, did a little bit of cold calling. There's a guy named Donnie Boyvin. He teaches he teaches cold calling. And no, I, I got out of that. You know, now I'm a coach. Now I have a network. I don't need to cold call. And he says, hey, I've got an event. Um, you guys want to help me out and, and do some cold calling with me? And he's he's a rock star. Like he teaches people to do that. People pay him a lot. And I'm like, that sounds sounds like fun. I'll try it out. And it was the most fun I've had on a phone ever because because he's just so casual about it. He's it's not like oh my god, I need to call these people and see what's going to happen and and uh, and maybe they'll get mad at me. It's just like oh, I'm just going to call some people and chat with them and maybe they buy and maybe they don't. He's such a casual attitude. Um, and it seems like your approach to to things the same way, but like, I'm just gonna give them a good time. We're just gonna have some fun. We're gonna, we're gonna set up some shows. It's gonna be a good time. And by approaching your business and your life that way, 
you know, people get that vibe. And so they relax, you relax, you can make a deal, you can put together a show and you can make some things happen. You know, when I approached this theater, uh, they were approached many times and everybody wants Friday and Saturday. Mm -hmm. And it never worked out because like I said, they did the plays. So when I said, no, I don't want Fridays and Saturdays and I don't care what day you give me. I don't think filling a 400 seat theater with social media and advertising is going to be hard. So give me a Monday or a Tuesday, (laughs) but here's the deal. Your prices are great for Friday and Saturday. What are we going to do? And the people at the theater sat with me and really sharpened their pencil (laughs) to where I can't get hurt. And my wife, of course, is the uh, steady breadwinner in the house. And I sat with her and I said, what do you think? She said, you know, Gene, this is what she said to me years ago. I'd rather you make a thousand a week doing what you love than 5,000 a week getting aggravated. Yes. And when you have a support system behind you like that, mm-hmm. you could go into things casual with a risk. Mm-hmm. Because, look, they're not always going to be big money makers. They're not always going to be small money makers. Sometimes you might lose a few. But you add it up over the course of a year and you hope that you're on the plus side. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a businessman. I'm a hustler. I don't have a paycheck. So everything I do revolves around chance. Yep. But when you approach a theater that has empty days and you say, can we work together? And let's do a sliding scale. The more tickets I sell, the more you're going to make. You're going to make more than if you just rent it out to me outright. Yep. And when you, when you say that to a restaurant or a, a theater, they say, all right, if he's willing to take a risk, let's us take a risk. Yes. And, you know, it, it it's funny how so many people don't want to work deals because they think they're worth blah, blah, blah. And I'm not going to work a deal with you because I did my work. Well, yeah, we all did our work for years, but now it's a different time. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if the doo people are going to come out. I don't know if they've passed away in the past 18 months, <laughs> if they're scared. I don't know what's going to go on. So I'm rolling the dice just as much as the theater. Yeah. But if they're willing to roll the dice and help, then I'm rolling roll the dice and take a chance. Yeah. Well, and that totally makes sense because there's different levels of risk tolerance in different places. So yeah, if, if you had to, to lay out money to just rent the theater, then it'd be a huge risk on you. Right. No risk on them. But they can eat the risk because their they're, they're overhead and opening the doors is probably way less than if you were to, to lay out the money to rent right, it. So. Right. I mean, unfortunately, they're a union house, so they got to pay their people X amount of dollars. You got to mm-hmm. bring them in for eight hours. You can't just say bring a, a sound tech in for the three hours. Okay. Yeah. Be, right? So there is monetary uh, risk there. But I noticed if you call a group for a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, they're willing to work with you as well. Yeah. Yep. And I say, listen, you've done 20 shows with me. You've always gotten paid, even if it was a thunderstorm and nobody came. Mm-hmm. Let's work a deal. Let's say we do a Tuesday. If I hit 150 tickets, you get this. I hit 250, you get that. I sell out, you get this. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's not all for me. I'm not a greedy person. Yep. I have no problem sp- spreading the wealth because that's how I did it. With these restaurants, I would mm. say, well, if you want to hire me outright, then this is my price. But if you want to work a deal, the more we get, the more I should get. Mm-hmm. 
If if I charge a thousand dollars and you say, "Can you do it for six? Yeah, but if we pack the house, I want fifteen hundred. Yep. And and you know what? I'm taking a risk. Let us both get the rewards if it works out. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. We we talk a lot in the business world that you know know what you're worth and charge that amount, but it doesn't necessarily mean be be rigid about it. It's not like I'm worth a thousand dollars. You're giving me a thousand no matter what. You know, if you want 500, fine, we're going to do that. But something is going to shift on the other yeah. side. So I'm still getting the value. And that's, you that's know what, really you know what is different in my business is I sell time. Mm-hmm. I'm not selling a product or a piece of merchandise where, uh, you know, I got a muffler and the mufflers cost me $90 and I got to sell it for two ninety to make a profit. Yeah, I'm selling time. So if I say to somebody, well, it's $800 and they say to me, well, my budget's five. I say, Let's meet in the middle. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I'm still able to pay my rent, you know, because listen, we only have two days a week really to make money, which is Friday and Saturday. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going out on a Wednesday, okay, it, it's a night for me to showcase what I do. It's a night for some other people that don't see me to see me. So you take a chance and you know, nine times out of 10, it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. and I, I like what you say about you know being seen, because uh, I, I know some some performers get taken advantage of, and you know, oh yeah, you'll get great exposure, and it's kind of a running joke in the in the performer world about um, about you know quote unquote exposure to six guys in my basement, but <laughs> but you know, but exposure is valuable if it's to the right people in the right place in the right context, people really get to know you. You know what bothers me the most when they say that is the phone call always starts with. I got a phone call about you and I heard you did a great job and you're one of the best in the business and blah, blah, blah. And you fill the house. Well, I can't afford or work a deal or this is good for you. Well, you just said to me, you heard nothing but great things. Uh You heard I packed the house. So what benefit could I have by doing it the way you're talking? You know, if an owner says to me, Gene, times have been rough. Uh, Can you help me? Absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you go back for dinner and they say to me, there's no check Yeah. or they give you 50%. They're, they're reciprocative. They're, they're appreciative. Yep. But yep. when you get somebody that thinks they're above and you're going to play their place and you're going to make millions, I, I generally stay away from those places because you know, at the end of the night, you're going to get the conversation. Well, we didn't pack the house. So what do, and I say to people, listen to me. I don't care how many people show up. It's how much they spend. Mm-hmm. If if I bring two people and that guy orders a $3,000 bottle of wine, yeah. isn't it still $3,000? Uh-huh. You know, this isn't the garden where you're selling tickets. You know, people come in, they have an appetizer, main dish, coffee, dessert, four drinks. That's still $75 a person. Yep. Uh, it's not $5 where you're losing money. Mm-hmm. So when somebody says, well, how many people do you bring? I go, well, I bring me and my wife. Cause my wife is my sound engineer and my, my light <laughs> girl. I go, but I guarantee you I'm going to bring spenders. So even if I fill half the house, you're going to make money. Yep. You know, what? if I fill a hundred seat restaurant uh-huh. and now your restaurant is 400 seats, well, I might not fill it, but those hundred people I'm bringing, they're going to spend. Yep. Well, and you got a great demographic too, because with with an older demographic, they got more money. 
They got what's called expendable dollars. Yes. And it's for a few reasons. Their children are gone mm -hmm. and their mortgages are paid. Yep. So now they have expendable dollars and they want to enjoy their lives. Yes. And I got to tell you, uh, the past year and a half really uh, threw a loop in my business because people that have stayed home got used to it. So now... It's, it's, um, it's a grind to get them out. Okay. Yeah. More so than before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But when they do come out that first time that pops it and then they'll come out again. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find people are spending more when they're first coming out? Yeah. Because you know why it's going to sound funny. They're drinking. Okay. They're, they're enjoying that. They're able to go out again. Mm hmm. Uh, that's where it comes down to. Listen, everybody orders the same thing. They have baked clams. They have chicken palm with spaghetti. And they have coffee and dessert. Mm -hmm. It's the drinks that make a check difference. Yeah. So if four people are going out in the same car and there's one driver designated, those other three people are going to drink like they haven't drank in 18 months. <laughs> you know? Yeah, make up lost but time. They're making up for lost time. So... um you know, it all goes down to money. Uh, I noticed that I didn't have to drop my prices uh, after the pandemic limitations went away. It was during the pandemic where I dropped my price because they couldn't hold 100% in the, in the place anymore. Right, right. So I said, okay, I can't charge you what I did a year ago, so let's make a deal. So what I did was I lowered my price to those places that deserved it that treat me like a human being. Mm -hmm. And what happened was right after the pandemic got lifted, I went right back to where it was. They brought it up. I didn't bring it up. So you know that people are spending money again because the money went right back to where it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I like what you're talking about with, with the, the two different types of businesses, the ones who are going to try to try to chisel you and the ones who try to take care of you. Uh, and I find that people who are most successful are the ones who are always trying to find ways to, to share the wealth. And if they've got it, they want to share it. And, and they're not like, well, yeah, I made a lot, but I'm not going to give it to you. So uh, instead they're saying, ah, I did great. Yeah, here, here's an extra hundred bucks. Um, or come back for dinner anytime this week. It's on me. You know, and because they know that comes back. They know if they can afford it, that's an investment in a relationship that will somehow pay off. Yeah. And, you know, when things happen like that, you're, you're more likely to tell people like yourself, Oh, do you know what San Martino and Yakas did? Well, not only did they pay me, the next time I went there, they picked up my check. And uh, do you know what Rigoletto's on Arthur Avenue did? They give me 50% off no matter how many people. You know, it's a great feeling when you get, and it's a great feeling when you give, even if it's just compliments. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a double-ended business. Yeah. yeah, Especially because it's, you know, with entertainment, I mean, you being in the restaurant's a good thing. You just, even if you're just, uh, you know, having some chicken parm on Tuesday night, there, there's any, you know, you might be in there eating and someone else is playing. They bring you up on stage. Now there's a moment that happened. Now somebody's going to come back to the restaurant again. So yeah, there's so many ways that can, that can pay back everyone. A hundred percent correct. Uh, which is why I'm always ready to do a song when I go out. I always have my music on my phone uh -huh. uh, because number one, I go see a lot of my fellow performers. Yeah. 
So they come up when I perform. I don't want to be disrespectful. But it's another way for somebody that's there to see them to see me. And mm-hmm. they might come to my show. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's, that's, yeah. that's great. Um, now, so do you say you're a podcaster as well? I am. I am, Mike. Uh, rough, really, about a year ago this week, uh, I was bored out of my skull. I did a couple of shows on Facebook to raise money for charity. Uh, one, which I just got an award last week, two weeks ago, I got an award from an organization called Visions, uh, which gives services to the blind. And I did a show for them on Facebook and they wanted to raise a thousand dollars. We raised six thousand dollars in 90 minutes. Wow. And I want to thank all my family, my friends and my fans for being the reason that we raised all that money. But when I did that show, I got the bug and I said, all right, I don't want to sing every week. What can I do? So I started a podcast called Real Talk with Gene DiNapoli. And the first show I did dealt with issues and politics. And I said, am I out of my mind? (laughs) I know nothing about economics. I know nothing about social issues. I know nothing about politics. I'm an entertainer. So my wife said, why don't you just do a show on entertainment? So I called up four of my friends that I did a TV show with called Kingpin. We went to Bogota, South America four years ago. And I said, guys, I want to do a talk show. Would you be my guest? Yeah. So I got a stream yard and I made a flyer. And I said to my wife, geez, if, if 50 people watch us, it's a success. Well, we had a thousand people watching live. Wow. Because all my friends promoted it just like me. And I said, well, this is fun. And then I said, okay, I'm going to take, I'm going to take off a week and I'm going to really give it some thought. So I said, I love to do our music. So I called up all the people that I've worked with and that I've hired. And I said, would you be my guest? And they're used to doing a podcast for 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> you know, they're, they're on with four or five other performers or acts. And they get to talk about 12 minutes of their career. I said, no, you're the whole hour. An hour? What are we <laughs> going to talk about for an hour? I said, leave that up to me. So because I love the music, I do a lot of homework. And I'll tell you a funny story. I had Brian Highland on the show who did the song Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini. Yep. And I said to him, when you went to South America in 1968, no, when you went to South Africa, he said, I went to South Africa? How did you know that? (laughs) I said, I do my homework. And they get to talk about things that they don't get to talk about. So between me doing my due diligence and them getting to open up for an hour, it's probably one of the most entertaining shows on Facebook and YouTube. It's called Reminiscing with Gene DiNapoli. Uh, we've done 49 shows so far. We did a couple of actors like Tony Darrow from The Sopranos and Goodfellas, uh, Lou Martini from The Godfather, Soprano, Louis Venaria. We've had uh, Latin people like Tito Puente Jr. Uh, and then people like Bobby Rydell, Gary Puckett, Larry Chance, uh, just a hundred J.T. Carter from the Crest, Sonny Turner from the Platters, Joey D., Vito Picone. The list goes on and on. And it's great because they get to talk about memories and everybody seems to enjoy it. 
Yeah. Well, it gets back to kind of what you're doing on the stage when you when you bring each other up and and kind of show that community. I think people like to they like to feel like they're invited to the party. So they're like, I, I sense there's something. There's connection among these people. They listen to the podcast. They're like, oh, cool. Oh, I love that story. Oh, I know that guy. Oh, it's great to hear that. Or that brings back memories for me. So I can I can totally see what the appeal would be for that kind of show. Yeah, absolutely. And and what's good about my show is that when people ask comment questions, I ask the performer. Mm-hmm. So they come up with they come up with real great questions. Like we had on, uh, we had the Exciters on. Uh, they had a, a huge hit called "Tell Them." Uh, they actually opened up for the Beatles. Wow! And and when the Beatles played the Gator Bowl, uh, they were told leave the Exciters home because they were African American. <laughs> and the Beatles said, "Well, if they don't come, we don't come." Wow! Uh, so they did a song called "He Hit Me," and it felt like a kiss. Well, it was misinterpreted as a physical hit. Uh, so they really didn't like the song, which I didn't know. So somebody commented, uh, asked them why they didn't like the song. And they went on for five minutes, really a backstory about that song. Uh, and what I do is I play 30 seconds of the songs, mm-hmm. some hits, some rare tracks, and it gets people to go to buy their CDs, go to their Facebook, go to their website, go to YouTube and type it in and learn about not only the hit songs, but the rare tracks. Wow. Okay. That you don't know about, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a powerful way to use the, yeah, you know, use Facebook Live. Sounds like you're really, really crushing a new media, which is also great because, because um, you know sometimes people say, oh, I'm I'm not a young kid, I can't figure out this Facebook thing. But uh, sounds like you're not making that excuse. No, they're not. And we we're live on YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. At the same time we do it, so people that don't have Facebook. That's okay. Go to YouTube, type in my name, and there's a playlist with 40-some-odd shows. You can watch it at your leisure, or you can watch it live when we go live. It's normally Monday nights at 8 o'clock, but being that yesterday was Elvis's anniversary of his death, I took the day off. Okay. So tonight we're doing our show, 8 o'clock. Tonight we have uh, Joe Esposito, who was with a band called Brooklyn Dreams, who did a duet with Donna Summers called Heaven Knows. And now he's also the lead singer of a group called the Brooklyn Bridge, which used to be Johnny Maestro in the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, wow. Okay. So he's the lead singer. He's got a great, he wrote songs for Anita Baker and Patti LaBelle. And so, you know, we don't just talk about the, the, the hits. We talk about what did you do behind the scenes that nobody knows? Yeah. And that's what people want to hear. That's the exciting stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. The real, the real stories and, and how they, how they got there and what you can learn from them and, and, uh, and you know, the stuff that, that you don't just, uh, yeah, stuff you can't just hear listening to music. That's, which is, sounds like a lot of fun. Um, this sounds like a great, great show. I, I love how you've adapted to new, you know, new platforms and, and you're, you're not just saying, woe is me. The pandemic's terrible. You kind of pivoted, you figured it out, made it work. And that's, that's inspiring to all of us. You know, Mike, uh, my mother called me Mr. Entertainment because I, I started to do different things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and with the singing, I do some acting, the podcasting. I'm, I'm writing my autobiography because I had a very interesting childhood. With mm-hmm. The way I grew up with my father, my mother, and my stepfather, it was really a, a dichotomy of work living. And the book is going to be called The Life of an Ordinary Street Kid, which is an oxymoron because there is no such thing as an ordinary street kid. Right. Uh, I'll give you one story about my father. He was a professional dice shooter. 
<laughs> and he made friends in Atlantic City with a lot of sports figures. And I walked into my house one day after school and sitting at my table was Willie Mays, Bruno Sammartino, Mario Andretti, and Leo DeRocher from the Brooklyn Dodgers. Wow. Okay. And I, because every casino in Atlantic City in the 80s had a sports figure that was like a goodwill ambassador. Mm -hmm. And my father got to meet Willie Mays and Willie took him to dinner and they went. So everybody gravitated to my father. My father was a very big personality. He was very uh, storytelling, which I've adapted. Uh, so everybody wanted to be around my father. So when I walked in my house at 16 or 15 and saw this, and I sat at the table for four hours and didn't say a word because my eyes diverted to everybody. It was really something to grow up with. Yeah. But then the next week, my father went to Italy and I got a kidnapping threat oh. because my father uh, played, you know what the illegal numbers are? Yeah. So my father won $100,000 hitting the number and somebody thought it was in the house and they said that they were going to kidnap me for my father to give them the money. So I had to go to school with two bodyguards with shotguns under their jackets. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was, if I went to work, I had people drive me and it was, it was a very interesting way to grow up uh, with a father who was in the streets with a mother who was nothing but loving and with a stepfather who taught me uh, legit, legitimate working ethics. Mm. Uh, you go out on a Monday night, you got to go to work. You come home five in the morning. You don't go to sleep. You get in the shower, you shave, you go to work. Yeah. So no matter, you know, so I had the best of three worlds. Yes. And when I go to, when I do a show and we go to the diner afterwards, people come to the diner because I get on a, a rampage and I just talk and talk and they love my <laughs> stories. And I actually had a woman text me the other day, Gene, I'm only going to be in New York for another month. Can we please go to the diner? Because I miss your stories. Yes. And, and, and you know, that's what makes me happy. Love it. Yeah. That's great. When I, when I met Bruno San Martino two weeks before he died, I showed him a picture of him and my father in Atlantic City. And when my father won a tournament, uh, I think he won half a million. Bruno was the person that gave him the money. And in the picture, they were just standing. I showed it to Bruno and he said, I think I gave this man a lot of money once. And I said, yes, <laughs> you did. And, you know, that's an everlasting memory. You're talking about 1983. Now, I think this was 2018 right before he died. So you're talking uh, 40, 42 years? Wow. Am I right? Or 32. Yeah. Uh, 85, 95, 2000. You're talking 37 years. And he remembered my father. So that's the kind of personality he had. I'm told I have the same type of personality. So I like to bring smiles to people's faces, whether I'm singing in a casino or a nursing mm -hmm. home or whether I'm telling my story at a diner. And as long as I could do that, I'm a happy camper. I love it. Yeah, I me love too. It. Well, it has been great having you share your story and having all that, uh, the energy there. Um, yeah, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, like, oh, it's, it, interviews run about 25 to 45 minutes and I'm just looking at the clock and it's 
ticking up towards 60. Uh, oh. So, but, but that's how yeah, I, I, I could talk. I could talk, Mike. I, I know. That's why I love entertainers <laughs> on the show. I don't need to, I don't need to make it interesting. I just have to let you talk and I know it's going to be know. a good show. So well, I want to thank you because uh, not only did you do a great job, you must've done your homework uh, because I've done maybe a hundred of these and a few of them would say to me, uh, when you were in a nightclub in 1958, I wasn't even born yet <laughs> in 1958. So you did your homework. And if we ever want to do this again, please don't hesitate. Uh, and if I may, I'd like to promote my social oh, please. media. Yes, yes. Share yes. whatever you want to, whatever you want to promote. So everything I do is Gene DiNapoli, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, website, everything is Gene DiNapoli. So if people do a search, they're going to find me. YouTube, mm-hmm. Gene DiNapoli. Yep. Yeah. The links will be in the show notes as well um, for those who, who look at show notes. But uh, definitely, yeah, Gene, and that's G E N E. For those not familiar with the, the spelling, it's not J E A N. No. Um, you don't really sound like a J E A N, but, uh, you know, some people can't. That's spell. another. Can you imagine how many people say to me, uh, is it J E A N? I says, no, I stood up when I went to the bathroom today. I didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> Love crazy. it. But uh, yeah, this, this has been great. I, I love sharing the stories of the, 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 the energy you have just kind of going out and being like, I'm just going to do this because well, yes, someone asked me the other day, like, how, how do you keep going when times are tough? And they're like, that implies I could stop going. Like, I'm just going to, what else would I do? Yeah. I- Again, Mike, you need a great support system. Yeah. Whether it's your family or your spouse or friends, uh, because it'll push you to do bigger and better. Absolutely. Find the right you know, people. Yeah. So no man is an island. Mm-hmm. No woman is an island. Uh, so, you know, keep a good attitude. Uh, in today's day and age, with all the different racisms and religions and sexualities, I came up with a saying, you do you and I do me, and together we live in harmony. I like it. You know, you don't have to, you you don't push your agenda on me. I don't push mine on you. You do what you want in the privacy of your own house. But when we're together, let's be respectful of each other. Let's let's respect each other's space and the world will be a better place. I love it. That is awesome. And uh, yeah, so hopefully you'll make it out to our area in the Connecticut. Um, we got some big I'm actually going to be in Connecticut in October. Oh, really? I'm going to be performing in... Darien, Connecticut. Okay. That's I'm going to be quite... doing an Elvis an Elvis fundraiser. I believe it's for the American Legion. Oh, that's fun. Uh, it's, I'm going to DJ. It's a doo-wop Elvis show. Uh, we're going to be out there in Darien, Connecticut. And uh, can I say the phone number for tickets? Uh, sure, go ahead. Call 203-655-7884 for tickets. It's uh, dinner, beer, wine, soda, Elvis, DJ, 60 bucks a head. How can you beat that? That's pretty fantastic. Yeah. And a great cause. That's most of the way to New York from where I sit, but uh, it's still a great, yeah. uh, sounds like a great show. It is. Thank so. you. All right. Well, it's been great to have you on the show. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share before we, before we part ways? I want to wish everybody a happy rest of the summer. Uh, check me out. If you want to write to me, please do. And just stay safe, stay positive and stay well. Love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It has been awesome talking to you. Thanks, Mike. You take care. This has been the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast with your host, Michael Whitehouse. This great theme song is by Patrick Howard. 
If you found this valuable, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast. Find the full archive of all episodes at guywhoknowsaguy.com slash podcast. Check out my other podcast, Morning Motivation. It's a daily podcast of two to five minutes with a powerful hit of motivation and inspiration to get your day started. Morningmotivation.fun or search for Morning Motivation wherever you listen to podcasts. Join the community online in the Morning Motivation Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Morning Motivation Podcast. JV Connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people in an environment that's not stressful, but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect, jv-connect.com. Dot com. That's jv-connect.com, December 12th and 13th, 2023. We'll see you there.